get in our lesson. We're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 22 through 25, and I titled this, um, uh, Those Were the Days, My Friends. That's the way I I titled this, Um, but, uh, you know, anyway. So let's go ahead and and have a word of prayer, and then um, we'll just go ahead and get into this lesson, and... uh, Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get back together again and see each other face to face. So, uh, Lord God in heaven, I come to you now, Lord. Uh, this is just such an odd situation uh, for us, Father. But we're we're grateful, Lord, that even uh, even in this way that we're able to gather around uh, together, uh, Father, around your word. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would uh, help us not to become distracted with what's going on, but help us to, to remain uh, focused, Father. Uh, Protect us, keep us uh, safe, Lord. Uh, uh, help us through this situation. Give us the strength and the patience, uh, the endurance that uh, would be required. I pray for the the members of uh, Lightwalkers class. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would protect them, keep them safe, Father, as there uh, as many of them have to still go out and and be about uh, their business on their jobs and and things like that. And Father, I'm so grateful to hear about all the the ways that folks have reached out and are checking on one another and making sure folks have, have uh, necessary things. And Lord, I thank you for the for the love of the body and uh, Father, the love of Christ that's being displayed during this time. Now, Lord, as we begin to look at this uh, lesson in, in Luke 17, I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, bless this time. I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to uh, come away with something uh, that uh, is uh, not only instructive, uh, but applicable as well. Uh, help me, Lord, to be able to um, communicate, uh, teach well uh, for your honor and for your glory, Lord, so that your people would be edified, uh, built up in the faith, Father. We thank you and we praise you in, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, welcome everyone. And so we'll go ahead and get started. And yes, Royal, I did I did start it. So at least I got that far. So we're looking at uh, Luke uh, chapter 17. Uh, starting in uh, verse 22, I'll go ahead and, and read the passage. This will be the passage that we're going to be looking at. And then in Luke 17, starting in verse 22, it says, And he said unto the disciples, uh, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. Uh, and they shall say to you, See here or see there. He says, Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Now, uh, last week we got together. And we saw where the Pharisees had demanded of Jesus uh, when the kingdom of God uh, should come. Uh, They were looking for the kingdom and they were demanding of Jesus uh, when this uh, kingdom would come. And uh, what Jesus informed them was that the kingdom was indeed within their midst, right there before them. Uh, But the leadership uh, refused to believe that. They rejected the king. And therefore, there would be no kingdom on earth for the Jews. 
until they were willing to receive the king within their hearts. Um, and that's kind of true for some of us, uh, for, for many of us, as a matter of fact. Uh, unless we receive the king in our hearts, then there will be no kingdom of God within us. So he was telling these folks, you know, the king is right before you. Uh, for three years, uh, Jesus had been uh, confirming this before them by his signs, by his wonders, by his miracles, uh, that he that was proof that he indeed was the Messiah, the king, uh, that their prophets had spoken about. Uh, for three years, Jesus had walked up and down among the Jews, um, throughout the land uh, preaching the kingdom uh, for three years he was like the parable of the of the gardener he was digging about the roots of this fig tree he was fertilizing this fig tree but this uh, fig tree which represents the nation of Israel uh, simply were not was not producing uh, the fruits of faith and so uh, what these men should have been observing uh, that was within their midst uh, they they were missing it. They refused it. They uh, were not receiving uh, what was offered to them. Uh, like we read last week in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, uh, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came onto his own, and his own received him not. And this uh, attitude of the relig- religious uh, leadership, uh, this wouldn't change. Uh, they would uh, continue to reject Jesus even to the point of crucifying him. And they would continue to reject the the message, the gospel, that uh, Peter and John and the Apostle Paul would preach. And this would just continue on until finally uh, what we had studied about in uh, Zechariah, uh, where he would talk about the, the hardening of the hearts and the pulling away of the shoulders and the stopping up of the years. Uh, they just didn't want to listen to it. So in 70 AD, uh, the Roman army came, uh, destroyed uh, the temple, uh, destroyed uh, Jerusalem, and dispersed the people. And so uh, these Pharisees never did uh, never did see the kingdom. And so having addressed the demands of these uh, Pharisees about the kingdom, what we see here in verse 22 is that uh, Jesus now uh, turns to his disciples who were standing there and they were listening and witnessing what Jesus had to say to these men. And so Jesus was was, uh, turning to his disciples and he was uh, talking to them about the same thing. And I think there's uh, two applications, two applications uh, or explanations about uh, what Jesus is talking about here, uh, about the days will come when they shall desire to to see one of the days of the Son of Man and they shall not see it. Uh, these days that uh, the Lord is speaking about, I think there's, there's two applications that we can see here. Um, uh, one is uh, I would call these current days, uh, uh, these current days. Um, the days in which uh, Jesus was right there uh, before them in the flesh, I think uh, the, I think that's one of the things that he's talking about. Uh, the days that these disciples uh, were uh, experiencing right there in the in the very presence of, of Jesus uh, were indeed blessed days. In fact, um, I had already referred to this uh, when uh, Jesus uh, spoke to the disciples uh, back in Luke chapter. 
chapter 10, where he said that those days that the disciples were experiencing uh, were days that the, the prophets and the kings in the past, uh, they also desired to see those days. In uh, Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 23 through 24, uh, it says, And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, he said, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. I mean, stop and think about it. You know, just to be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those were precious days for these men. Uh, these were precious days for any of those folks who followed the Lord, because it wasn't always, it wasn't just the, the 12 disciples, was it? It was other women and other people that were following Jesus. And, and what a blessed time it must be to, it must have been for these folks to, to be in his very presence. I mean, prophets and kings desired to see and hear what these people were experiencing. Uh, but like the old saying says, you know, all, all good things must come to an end. And so the, the days of their being in the very uh, literal, physical presence of Jesus uh, would soon pass away. So I think that's the first application here of what he is saying here about uh, the days will, will come uh, when you long for these days. You know, uh, these days are short. Uh, these days are, are temporary. Uh, these days are going to pass away and you're going to find yourself uh, desiring, uh, longing for these days. Uh, Jesus kind of alluded to this back in um, Luke chapter 5 and verse 35. Uh, he says, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast fast in those days. Now, we know from reading our Bibles uh, that one of the ways that men and women express grief uh, was by fasting. And so these men would soon know uh, that uh, pain of separation uh, when the Lord would be forcibly taken from them in that garden. Uh, he would be led away and, and crucified and buried. So these men would, would know the, the grief of that, of that. They would fast at that because of that. But of course, the Lord rose again. And of course, there was there was joy among these men as well as wonder. But even those days after the Lord's resurrection, even even those days were were short lived, because the sun was soon to return to the glory uh, from whence he came. So, uh, in a way, I can't help but wonder that uh, this departure. When he ascended into heaven, uh, there wasn't um, perhaps maybe mixed emotions among his disciples. You know, a mixture of joy and a mixture of sadness, uh, joy over his resurrection and joy over his ascension and joy over his uh, promised return. But at the same time, was there sadness, if that's the right word, you know, uh, knowing that uh, now they must uh, press on uh, without him physically uh, present among them. Uh, maybe there was a little bit of sadness about that. Um, and it wasn't until um, Pentecost, right? Uh, did they come to realize what the Lord was uh, telling them back there in John 16 and John 17 about the, the comforter uh, being the Holy Spirit that would be sent to them uh, when the Holy Spirit 
came on the day of Pentecost and they you know they they realized that truth of the comforter and um, so yeah I think there was a little bit of sadness and I think many of us uh, can appreciate um, the sadness of uh, separation uh, from someone you have loved I've had I've had good friends that uh, are no longer nearby or no longer uh, with us and I miss them I miss their company. I miss uh, talking to them. I miss being with them. Uh, when someone is an integral part of your life for a long time or for a period of time that's crucial in your life uh, and that person is no longer there uh, to talk with and to be with, I think I think there's a, some sadness that, that takes place, of that separation. Uh, that kind of reminds me of uh, Psalms 39 in uh, verses 4 and 5. Psalms 39, uh, verses 4 and 5, uh, where the psalmist is writing, and he says, Lord, he says, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, uh, what it is, uh, that I may know how frail I am. And, and life is definitely frail, isn't it? He goes on in verse 5, he says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. So it's just as broad as your hand. And mine age is nothing before thee. Uh, verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, uh, see law. And that see law is put there for you to think about what was just said. I mean, really, how few and how precious are the days uh, that we have on this earth because soon uh, this um, probationary period uh, will be over I think uh, it was Paul that said redeem the time Uh, redeem the time because those days are few those days are precious and uh, soon uh, it'll be over It'll just all, it'll just be over. And anything that we can do for the Lord will be done, will be finished. Um, these disciples that were, that were with Jesus at this time in those current days, uh, they had the uh, enviable opportunity uh, to be with Jesus personally, physically. But, you know, if you stop and think about it, you know, we also have that very same uh, opportunity uh, to enjoy having a a personal, intimate relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ through his spirit that indwells us, uh, through his uh, preserved word that he's placed within our hands. We're a blessed people because of that and because of the church, you know, because of the body of Christ. Uh, we can experience that that intimacy. Um, and that's that's one of the big things that I miss is, is just being able to be around uh, God's people like, like we can be. Uh, and hopefully that'll be restored. But there's that possibility, that opportunity uh, to experience this this intimacy. Um, I'm kind of a, um, a reflective person, and, uh, you know, sometimes I reflect upon uh, where I might have been, right, if it were not for Christ in my life, uh, if it weren't for someone uh, years ago who uh, came to me and um, uh, thought enough of me to share the gospel 
of God's love to me. I, you know, I often think, you know, where would I be now if it weren't, if it weren't for Jesus Christ? You know, I kind of shudder to think. Uh, you know, I think of some of my old friends that I used to hang out with, and and uh, I don't know where many of them are now. Some I do know. I know where they're at in life, and um, sadly, some of the folks that I used to hang out with uh, have uh, have taken their own lives uh, due to the despair of an existence without Christ. So, you know, I just kind of, I reflect upon uh, those things like that. Uh, Billy Graham uh, once said, uh, uh, the cross shows us the seriousness of our sin. I mean, it was serious enough for God to send his own son. But uh, Billy goes on and he says, the cross shows the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. I mean, where would we be uh, without the immeasurable love of God? Where would we be without the immeasurable love of God? Uh, and, you know, and as wonderful as this is to uh, have this intimacy with the Lord, uh, to know our Savior, uh, to have fellowship with him uh, through his word, uh, by his spirit and through his people, uh, not only do we have this uh, marvelous opportunity, uh, but also along with this opportunity uh, there's a solemn responsibility isn't there Uh, sure there is there's a very solemn responsibility what the Lord was doing with these men was he was preparing for them He was preparing them for a greater work, right? It wasn't just uh, hanging around and having a good time. Uh, The Lord was also preparing these men because one day these men uh, was going to turn the world upside down uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So not only with our relationship with Christ uh, as being a wonderful opportunity, there's also a solemn responsibility involved in that. In Second um, Corinthians chapter five, Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, verses nine through ten, Paul reminds us. He says, "He says, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, uh, we may be accepted of Him, uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad." Uh, one of these days we will stand before our Savior, our Lord, and uh, we will give an account of our life. We will give an account of our life to the Lord. Um, In Romans chapter 14, Romans 14, 10 through 12, Paul writes again, he says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, so that's that's on our agenda. <laughs> that's what that's what is uh, before all of us, is that one day we will stand before uh, our Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we'll give an account of ourselves to him. Now, you know, we I could sit down and I could make out a very long list of things we should and should not do, and there are a lot of people that have, have done this, uh, but, um, you know, to me, uh, and I don't mean to oversimplify this, uh, 
but to me, the Christian life is not so much uh, of what one should do or should not do, but rather what someone has done uh, on our behalf, for our behalf. And in effect, uh, the Christian life is a uh, life of exchange, a life of exchange. Uh, We exchange the guilt of a sinner uh, for the justification of a saint. Uh, We exchange the wrath of God uh, for peace with God. Uh, We exchange being at enmity with God uh, for being reconciled to God. We exchange our alienation uh, for his fellowship, for his nearness. We exchange weakness for strength, despair for hope, ignorance for his knowledge, foolishness for his wisdom, hell for heaven. It's a life of exchange. Uh, We exchange our poverty for an imperishable inheritance in heaven reserved for us. Uh, We exchange our ruin for his perfection. We exchange our sin for his righteousness. We exchange uh, darkness for light, condemnation for acceptance in the beloved. Uh, We exchange eternal death for everlasting life. And we can go on and we can go on and we can go on about this life of exchange. Uh, Ephesians 4 uh, verses 22 through 24 says uh, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness there's yet another exchange the exchange of the former conversation of the old man uh, for that of the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness so again not meaning to oversimplify things but perhaps uh, you know one of those matters that we may be accountable for when we stand before uh, the Lord is uh, how well did we live this exchanged life? How well did we live this exchanged life? So that's the first application about the current days, but there's also another application, uh, an application of the days to come. The application of the days to come. Uh, In the context of uh, Luke 17, another aspect that we must consider, and I believe is uh, right on the point as far as what Jesus is now talking to his disciples about in relation to the kingdom of God that he spoke to the Pharisees about, uh, is the days to come. You see, uh, the kingdom that was anticipated by the prophets and the kings, uh, the kingdom uh, that the Pharisees had demanded to know uh, when they would see it, uh, this very same kingdom, uh, these disciples uh, were also in great expectation uh, to see. They were also uh, looking uh, for the kingdom. And as we looked at uh, last week, we learned that uh, the kingdom is now postponed. All right? Um, 
That's something that we have the advantage of understanding. Why? Because we've got the full revelation of God on the matter. We, we know what God's word has to say on the matter. So we know that the kingdom is now postponed. Uh, this is what Jesus alluded to, that the kingdom was postponed. And this was something that these men, these disciples, would later uh, come to more and more appreciate uh, after the day of Pentecost and after the Apostle Paul uh, had this revealed to him by God and he wrote about it in his epistles Uh, that's what Romans chapter 9 through 11 is all about about the postponement of this kingdom now what Jesus does here is that he warns his disciples and I believe all of us who follow the Lord Jesus uh, that when um, uh, when they experience these days of longing uh, for the kingdom uh, and uh, those who love the Lord who doesn't long for the kingdom uh, who doesn't long for the the time when Jesus will return and, and establish his reign of, of peace and righteousness on this earth uh, he says that when you do find yourself uh, longing for those days uh, what he's telling his disciples what he's telling his church if you will is that he says be forewarned uh, be forewarned uh, because before that time occurs before the kingdom is finally established Jesus is saying there will arise false Christs there will arise pretenders uh, preaching lies and he says don't go after them don't follow them Uh, Jesus uh, is forewarning his disciples he's forewarning all of us that there will uh, come upon the church come upon this age uh, those who will make false claims uh, for themselves Uh, Jesus refers to these the, to these individuals as uh, wolves in sheep's clothing uh, that will come among the flock. Matthew seven fifteen he says, "Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves." So they have this pretense of being Christian. But with inside, they are not. You know, they have this pretense, but they're not what they appear to be. And Jesus is very clear. He says, don't go after them. Don't follow them. Now, one would think uh, that this would be obvious uh, to those who follow the Lord, uh, who have the... uh, complete word of God preserved for them, Uh, but what Jesus is warning about is that uh, this will be the uh, characteristic of those final days. This will be the characteristic, uh, the symptom, if you will, uh, both of the uh, church, closing of the church age, as well as the uh, tribulation period, that uh, 70th week of Daniel, uh, that uh, the book of Daniel talks about, the tribulation period that the book of Revelations talks about. Uh, this is, if you look at the context of Luke 17, uh, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about those, those final days when he, when he will return. Uh, this warning about uh, the false preachers and the false teachers and the false Christ uh, is indeed one of the signs that a discerning church uh, should be observing 
as a symptom of these final days. As the church slides into apostasy and heresy, which I believe is in preparation uh, for the mystery Babylon religion of the tribulation period. Now, let me clarify something. When I speak about the church, all right, uh, when when I say that, uh, I'm speaking in a general broad way. I'm not, sp- I'm not talking about or referring to the church. Uh, that is the body of Christ made up of uh, born-again believers, that remnant. God always has his remnant. Uh, but when I am mentioning the church in the context of this lesson, what I'm referring to is what many have termed Christendom. You might have heard that term. Uh, in other words, uh, Christianity that uh, in, that encompasses all the the the, the uh, different denominations and branches and fellowships uh, that, in some way uh, or another, they associate themselves uh, to Christ in name only. Okay, and I'm not going to sit here and pick at this one or pick at that one. But what I'm talking about is the general world's idea or view of what the church is. Uh, Later, uh, Jesus will speak about this this same topic, about it being a sign of the times that uh, false Christs and false teachers will will show up in the end times. In Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 7 through 8, he says, And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Of course, they're curious about those end times. And Jesus said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. So that's one of the signs that we are to observe. Okay, just like with the Pharisees, we are to observe these signs. And one of the signs is uh, these false Christs and these false teachers and these false prophets. And the church uh, for the last, the church age for the last 2,000 years, uh, the true church has suffered uh, because of these uh, types, uh, these false Christs, these false prophets, these false teachers, the true church has suffered dearly because of these of these individuals. And as the, the as the church age draws to a close, and that tribulation period becomes uh, closer and closer, uh, one of the things that's going to be prominent is that uh, churches. Uh, congregations uh, will begin to fall away from the Word of God as its absolute standard and revelation from God, and they will hold more to uh, the opinions and teachings of men. Uh, The Apostle Paul he warned about uh, these types at the end of the church age uh, as, as, uh, as it comes to a close. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and, there's, and verse 1, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, 
Verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, uh, for of uh, having a form of godliness. Remember the sheep or the wolves in sheep clothing? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, he says, from such turn away. That's the same words that Jesus said. <clears throat> Verse 6, he says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses, YouTube, books, television, and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, and there's a silly men out there too, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, the word perilous is an interesting word. It addresses the idea uh, that uh, because the strength of something has been reduced, uh, then this lessening of the strength uh, creates a dangerous or troublesome situation. Uh, I like to use the illustration of a rope, a rope that has become frayed or worn or stressed. Uh, you look at it and it looks okay, but because it's frayed and worn and stressed, um, the strength of that rope has been reduced. And the rope has now become perilous to those who trust in it to support them as they dangle from a cliff face or they try to moor their ship in a safe harbor. Uh, what eventually will happen is that rope, that perilous rope, will give way. All right, it'll break. And so you go tumbling over the cliff or your ship breaks away from its safe mooring in a storm and you go drifting off into a storm. So that's what that word perilous talks about. Psalms chapter 12 and verse 1, uh, the psalmist cries out, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. You see, the folks that appear to be faithful men, the folks that appear to be godly men in those last times, and those perilous times, are nothing different than rotten ropes rotten ropes. Uh, these men and women whom Paul and Jesus weren't about uh, during those end times uh, will become uh, more and more prolific. Uh, they will have a form of godliness, but in reality, they are not. Uh, Paul also writes about these types uh, when he wrote to uh, Titus in Titus 1.16. He says of these types, <coughs> they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work uh, reprobate. So, like a rope whose strength has been severely compromised and appears to be sound, uh, so too will these types appear to those who go after them and follow them. They'll be following after men who are no better than rotten ropes. Uh, these types will find a purchase in the field, if you will, because the people will desire 
uh, them. They'll have no taste uh, for the pure, sound words of God's word. Uh, People will want to hear things that uh, will titillate their intellect or excite their senses. Uh, They'll go to preachers and teachers who uh, fit their brand of politics or their brand of religion or their uh, opinions or philosophies about life. That's who they'll gravitate toward. Again, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned onto fables. Remember uh, Zechariah? Chapter 7, verse 11, about the turning away of the shoulder and the stopping of the ears. Uh, That will be the general attitude of this later period of the Laodicean church age, of which I believe that we're living in today. There will be a general attitude among the people who claim to be Christian, but they will not endure sound doctrine. They just, they have no stomach for it. They have no taste for it. Um, One of the tragic characteristics of the church in the latter days of this age is its willingness to accept all things that sound spiritual, irregardless of it being contrary to what the Bible says. Uh, There will be a brand of mysticism, a brand of spiritualism, and we're seeing this uh, coupled with an attitude of of audacious self-centeredness, a need for personal affirmation, or a a tickling of the the scholastic intellectualism. Uh, All of this mixed up with a pop psycho babble uh, all of this will begin to infect the churches and it will be this stuff uh, that will uh, trump if you will the sound doctrine in many congregations it'll get to the point where uh, you try to preach the truth and it will not be popular we're seeing that we're seeing that today Uh, Because of this desire to hear something pleasant or entertaining or self-affirming, you know, as long as it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable about myself, um, you know, as long as the church adopts this attitude, uh, they'll end up losing uh, something crucial. And that that something crucial that they're going to lose is the ability to discern between what is biblical and what is false doctrine. Uh, They'll not be able to discern what is truth uh, from a lie. Uh, It's what a, a, now it's not so much what the Word of God says, but it's what some man says or what some woman says. Uh, That's the the new truth for churches today. That's the the new standard for many churches today. Uh, What did pastor so-and-so say? Or what did so-and-so say? Um, That's what's going to happen. Um, in high school, I remember my physics teacher, probably this is one of the few things that I, I learned, but uh, my physics teacher in high school said, nature hates a vacuum. Uh, nature hates a vacuum. Uh, you know, if Jesus doesn't uh, fill the void in the heart, uh, guess who will? 
And if if sound doctrine is not tolerated in the church, uh, then guess whose doctrine will be? Uh, Nature hates a vacuum, right? Um, Mark Twain um, said this. He said, uh, man is a religious animal. Uh, He is the only religious animal. Uh, He's the only animal that has the true religion, several of them. Uh, He is the only animal that loves his neighbor as himself and cuts his throat if his theology isn't straight. He has made a graveyard of the globe in trying his honest best to smooth his brother's path to happiness and heaven. Now, Mark Twain uh, was not a fan of organized religion. Uh, He was often critical of uh, those who he deemed as religious hypocrites. Um, But I quote Mark Twain because he's right about man uh, being a religious animal, because he is. Uh, Man is a religious animal. Uh, Regardless of the many societal and cultural differences in how religion is structured and practiced, believe it or not, uh, religion has been identified in one form or another in all the cultures that the shovel of the archaeologist has uh, turned over and discovered. Uh, We are a religious creature. Uh, There is inherent in man man, a a propensity uh, to worship something, uh, whether it's some sort of deity or some thing or some ideal. Uh, Man is a creature that worships. It's it's just there. It's it's a part of the, as Brian would say, it's just a part of the, the DNA. Uh, currently, uh, there is an estimated 4,200 uh, religions in the world. Uh, there's, uh, you know, as you go through the, the history books and all that kind of stuff, uh, they've listed uh, some 2,500 different gods and goddesses uh, that have been worshipped uh, throughout history which is nothing compared to India. Uh, In India, uh, they have an estimated 330 million uh, different deities of one sort or another. Uh, How do you keep up with something like that? 330 million deities. Um, To narrow it down even more, to narrow down this this confusion to Christianity alone, uh, today... If you don't like uh, the particular version of the Bible uh, that you're reading or that your pastor is preaching from, uh, then you can go out and you can pick out another another one. Because currently, and uh, Ron, you probably know this number better than me, but currently I believe there's like 450 different English versions of the Bible, and I'm sure there are more yet to become, yet to be printed, uh, that uh, those publishers are out there because there's big money in uh, in Bible, in in Bible publication. Uh, you can what a biblical smorgasbord that's available to us. If you don't like one version, uh, then you choose one that you do like. Uh, to even ratchet it down even more, uh, so within uh, Christianity. Uh, You know, Paul warned about this in Acts chapter 20 when he spoke to the elders uh, of of, uh, the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 28, he says to these elders, he says, 
Uh, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers uh, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood for I know this this is what Paul is saying for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves where did we read that before enter in among you not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them that's the issue right there drawing away disciples after themselves you see there are some unscrupulous men and women yes creating personality cults and teaching damnable heresies that go contrary to the word of God, uh, deceiving and being deceived, propagating propagating their own brand of the gospel, if you will. Um, At last count, uh, there are over 33,000 brands of the gospel. Choose which one you want. Prosperity gospel, primitive gospel, uh, apostolic gospel. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. There's over 33,000 brands of the gospel to choose from. Uh, Let's ratchet it down even more. Uh, Let's pick on our own uh, own denomination. Uh, In the United States alone, uh, there are some 85 different Baptist uh, fellowships, conventions, associations, and whatnot. Uh, This doesn't include, on top of this, another 256 other brands of Baptists uh, that cover this globe. Not to be outdone, uh, there's an estimated 13,000 Pentecostal congregations just in the United States alone, Uh, not to mention the mainline uh, Protestant denominations such as the Methodists and the Lutheran and the Episcopalian and the Anglican and the Presbyterian and so forth and so on and so on. I mean, is it any wonder that Peter warns us uh, that judgment begins at the house of God. In 1 Peter 4.17, he says, For the time has come uh, that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it be first begin at us, what shall the end of them what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now one may ask, um, where does all this uh, confusion come from? Where does it originate? Well let me assure you it does not originate uh, from God. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So where does it originate? It originates from the devil, and it originates from sinful men. Uh, Daniel 9.8, uh, Daniel lamented, O Lord, uh, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Yeah, that's where the confusion comes from. It comes from the devil, and it comes from sinful man. Uh, in his book, uh, The Days of, of Noah, 
M.R. Dehan identifies uh, eight social and economic conditions uh, that will characterize the last days of the church age uh, and also uh, that prior to Christ's second coming. And at the top of his list is, you guessed it, religious apostasy. That's at the top of the list, religious apostasy. Uh, He refers to the sacrifices of Abel and Cain and how these two men approached worship and how this approach to God has been propagated down uh, through the ages. Uh, Both men exercised themselves in acts of worship, uh, but Cain's worship uh, had rejected God's sacrifice. And instead, uh, he offered a bloodless sacrifice. Uh, Cain offered the the fruits of his own labor, the fruits uh, from a ground that was cursed by God. Genesis 3.17. Excuse me, folks. Genesis 3.17. And unto Adam, Adam, he said... Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So Cain was offering the fruits from a cursed ground. <clears throat> Abel's offering was one uh, was uh, the one accepted by God, uh, for his offering uh, was the one prescribed by God in the shedding of the blood of an innocent for the guilty. Uh, This is pictured uh, by the skin of an animal that God had uh, provided for uh, Adam and Eve, Abel's parents, uh, in their attempt to hide their nakedness with fig leaves, uh, God uh, hid it uh, with the the skin of an animal, which of course meant uh, the death of that animal. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Uh, Even though Abel lived long before the years of Moses and long before the years of the law, yet Abel understood uh, the principle of the blood offering. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul you see Abel's offering uh, prefigured the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is uh, this is the one uh, that John the Baptist declared as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world in John one twenty nine. You see, Abel's offering was that of faith in the blood atonement. While Cain's offering uh, was that of works, uh, the labor of his own hands uh, from the ground that was cursed. Uh, Cain had religion, uh, but it was uh, founded upon the works of his own labor. It was not uh, based in in the faith uh, of the the substitutionary uh, shed blood of an innocent victim for the guilty soul. No, it was works-based. And what will be prolific in the end times uh, is a religion that has gone the way of Cain. 
Jude 11, who shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, 2 Peter 2.1, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, Jude 4. There will be preached another gospel that does not preach the blood atonement of our Lord and Savior, salvation by grace through faith that will not hold to the uh, authority of God's word, but rather it will be a gospel uh, that preaches about works and toleration and ecumenicalism and all all sorts of things. Um, Today, um, there is um, uh, a term uh, being used um, called um, um, prog- progressive Christian, uh, progressive Christianity, or progressive uh, Christian churches. Uh, these are uh, congregations uh, that have this um, uh, progressive uh, mentality about them, and uh, that are hearing messages uh, that have a have this bent. On them, uh, let me share with you uh, some of the things that uh, these congregations are are hearing taught to them. Uh, one of the things that uh, is being taught in this in this progressive uh, Christian movement is this: uh, sin uh, doesn't separate us from God. Uh, we are made in His image, and He called us good. So sin doesn't separate us from God. Uh, Also, um, God didn't actually require a sacrifice for our sins, right? Uh, The first Christians uh, picked up on the uh, pagan practice of animal sacrifice, and they just simply uh, tell the story of Jesus in similar terms. You see what's going on there, guys? Huh? Denying the Lord that bought them, uh, denying the blood atonement. Uh, something else that they're hearing taught in these churches, uh, we don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love uh, by bringing justice to the oppressed and provision to the needy. Ah, there's your works-based salvation. Also, they also hear uh, God won't punish sinners. He loves sinners. And it's true. But it's not true, right? Uh, sure, they'll they'll say the Bible is authority is authoritative, but here's the problem: this is what's being taught. Uh, we've must we we have misunderstood the Bible for the for the first two thousand years of church history, and we are now just beginning to understand the message of the Bible. Wow, wow. Uh, Something else that's being taught in these churches uh, is this. Uh, It's not our job uh, to talk to anyone about sin. It's just our job to love them. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, You're not loving someone if you don't tell them they're in danger of eternal damnation. That's not love. If you're if you're not going to tell someone about the love of God and how they can escape eternal hell, that's not love. And I'm also going to call a name out because I want you guys to to be aware in case you know you come across this person or you pick up a book and it sounds interesting. Uh, there's a fellow by the name of uh, John Pavlovitz. Uh, he is a he is an author, a well-known author, and this is what John uh, Pavlovitz uh, wrote. <clears throat> he said here, uh, there are no sacred cows in progressive Christianity. 
He said, tradition, dogma, and doctrine are all fair game, because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. Let that sink in. You know what he just said? Pitch the Bible. Pitch the Bible. I have problems with that. Second Peter one twenty one, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He just denied the, the divine inspiration of the, of the Word of God. Second uh, Thessalonians 2.15 uh, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You know who's the authority, according to John Pavlitz? Me and you. We're now the authority. See, Mr. Pavlitz doesn't, uh, doesn't say much for men such as Peter, John, and the Apostle Paul, does he? No, those are, yeah, they were flawed men, but these were men chosen by God to give us his revelation. Mr. Pavlich, much less, more importantly, he has no respect or any, you know, any, any kind of reverence for the divine inspiration and preservation of the word of God. You know, it, we are now the authority. We are now the authority. Uh, again, Second Timothy four three, uh, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to, uh, themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. The things that men like this John Pavlich teaches are fables. These are fables. These are things that turn people away from the Word of God. So in the context of the, of the last days, and in the context of the tribulation period, there's going to come upon the earth a wicked one whose coming is after the working of Satan, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.9, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, 2 Thessalonians 2.4. You see, what these men, like what John Pavlitz and those other folks are doing, they're simply paving the way for the world to accept this wicked one that's coming. Uh, even the Jews, even even for the Jews. Uh, in John's uh, Gospel, in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus was admonishing the Jews uh, because they were, they were refusing to believe uh, that the Father had sent him, that he had come from the Father, and uh, speaking to the Jews as a nation, uh, having rejected Jesus, uh, having come from the Father in the Father's name, uh, this is what Jesus said about the Jews. Uh, he said in John 5:43. He says, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. He says, if another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. And indeed, they will. They will receive him who comes in his own name one day. And that person is the Antichrist. Uh, Daniel, in his prophecy, uh, spoke of this one that would come, who would come and make a covenant with the Jews, only to break the covenant after three and a half years and seek the destruction of the Jews. In John 9, uh, not John, but Daniel 9, uh, verse 27, it says, and he 
shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. There's coming a person that uh, will make this peace treaty with the Jews and then after three and a half years he's going to he's going to do the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about he's going to stand in the rebuilt temple into the very holy holies and he's going to claim himself God uh, when the day finally arrives that Jesus uh, will bring in the kingdom uh, it will be an event that will be evident to everyone uh, in fact, Jesus likens his coming that day uh, to a lightning strike. Uh, we see right here in Luke 17, uh, verse 24, he says, For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. What Jesus is saying to these guys, don't follow after these false Christs, these false teachers, these these wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, who pretend to be Christ, who claim to be Christ. He says, when I show up, you're going to know it. When I show up, you are going to know it. I remember when I was a, a boy, uh, we would often visit my um, my mother's sister and her family who lived in El Dorado, Kansas. And I remember one summer night, uh, there was a really bad uh, thunderstorm. In fact, uh, this particular storm had produced a tornado that caused uh, quite a bit of damage in the area. Uh, We were all in the house, hunkered down. We had lost power. Uh, But what I vividly remember was that uh, nearby, a lightning bolt uh, went off very close to the house. And that lightning bolt lit up the house like it was daylight. It was that bright. Um, uh, And if any of you, and I know if you've lived in this region for very long, if any of you have experienced a lightning storm, uh, you can certainly relate uh, to the imagery that Jesus uh, uses here about his second coming. Uh, When Jesus comes again, it will be swift and brilliant as a lightning strike. It will both be sudden and decisive. It will be sudden and decisive. As lightning brightens the sky with its uh, with its brilliance, so also will Jesus come. He will light up the sky of the entire world as he comes to vanquish the Antichrist and his allies, and his glory will just, it'll split the sky wide open when he comes again. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, 29 through 30, uh, Jesus uh, said this. He says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days uh, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Jesus shows up you're going to know it. You're going to know it. But before victory uh, comes the cross. In Luke 17, 25, uh, Jesus says here, But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Uh, so before victory um, uh, first comes 
uh, this, the cross. Uh, again, this is something that he has already uh, spoke to his disciples about as he prepares his men uh, for the days of he- uh, days of head. Uh, uh, Jesus must first endure the cross, uh, win the victory over sin and death and the devil. Uh, he must first endure the cross uh, where they'll shove uh, upon his head a, a crown of thorns, but soon uh, he will return and he will be wearing many crowns. In uh, Revelations 19.11, John writes, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. It says here in verse 12 of Revelations 19, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns many crowns. Uh, The prophets had foretold of his glorious kingdom, and the prophets also foretold of Jesus being rejected by this generation. Uh, Passages such as Isaiah 50, verse 5 and 6, says, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. That's exactly the way they, they treated the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah fifty two fourteen, As many were astonished, astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. The beatings that he received, the swellings around the face, the lacerations on his back, on his legs. Isaiah 53.3 He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, We hid it. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. There are many, many passages that speak of uh, the Lord's being rejected uh, by this generation. Uh, When God deals uh, with uh, chosen people of of Israel, uh, when God deals with any peoples in the Bible, uh, God deals with them according to generations. Uh, Genesis 7, it was a generation of Noah's day that experienced the flood. Uh, in Numbers 32, 13, it was the rebellious generation that perished in the wilderness. Uh, in, Ju- uh, in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, it speaks of a generation of Joshua that uh, that uh, reclaimed the land, and then it, re- it speaks of a rege- of a generation that followed Joshua's generation uh, that lost control of the land. In Acts thirteen six, thirty six, it speaks of David serving his own generation. So it's a so God deals with people after generations, and so we come uh, to this particular generation, uh, the generation that Jesus is in, uh, the generation of his disciples. Uh, This is a topic that we've considered before. Uh, It was this generation that John had called vipers in Matthew 3.7. It was a generation that uh, Jesus had proclaimed uh, that the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south would rise up in judgment against them in Luke chapter 11. Uh, And it was also this generation that Peter called an untoward generation in Acts 2.40. This generation... 
would never see uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, But there is a generation uh, that will see uh, the kingdom of God. And it is this generation uh, that Jesus now begins to speak about in the remainder of Luke uh, chapter 17. And you know what, guys? Uh, We also uh, live in a generation uh, that more and more people are trusting in the rotten ropes of men's opinions and fables and not in the sound doctrine of God's word. And it would do well that we would guard our hearts and our minds against these rotten ropes and hold fast uh, to the sound, sure words of God's word. Uh, So what follows in in the remainder of Luke 17 uh, is a discourse of that period that we uh, uh, come to know as the tribulation period and what Jesus is going to do he's going to provide some things for observation uh, that we in this uh, current Laodicean church age uh, would do, do well uh, to pay close attention to uh, as, uh, as uh, the rapture draws near uh, the tribulation period draws near and of course the second coming of Jesus Christ draws near so we'll take that up uh, the next time we get together so let's close in the word of prayer Uh, be sure to uh, uh, link in uh, to those links provided uh, to be with uh, Pastor Brian at uh, 1030 uh, to be able to um, uh, be uh, uh, to hear what Brian has to has to preach on the book of Acts and uh, I pray uh, that uh, God's blessing on you guys to keep you safe and sound. Father in heaven, we thank you now, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father in heaven, that you've preserved it for us through generations upon generations. Help us, Father, to be a discerning people. Help us, Father, to hold fast to those sound words. Uh, Father in heaven, we're not to follow men, uh, but rather uh, we do follow men who are true to your word. So therefore, we want to pray for our pastor. Uh, Keep him safe. Keep him sound. uh, Keep him true to your word, Father. Uh, We ask for your protection uh, during this time. Pray also, Lord God, uh, that we would be uh, soon uh, reunited one together uh, under that that roof there in the middle of that field. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, everyone. Uh, Thank you for joining and uh, God bless everybody. And um, I've got a whole list of names. So I kind of do have a magic mirror, don't I? Uh, we've got uh, Kaylee and Linda and and Mark and Sue. I sound like that lady on Romper Room, don't I? Well, anyway, okay, I'm going to end the, end the video, everybody. So uh, God bless, and uh, hopefully we'll get together face-to-face here real soon. Okay? All right. Bye-bye.